real change in our lives comes from the inside to the outside. Real change in our lives comes from the inside to the outside. You know, you can see this in military settings. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the situation in Iraq, in Ambar, Providence, the capital of Ambar, of, uh, the, the city of Ramadi, which was defended by 3,000 Iraqi soldiers, but was taken over by 1,000 ISIS militants. Uh, 3,000 Iraqi soldiers from defensive positions were not able to defend a city from 1,000 ISIS militants. And I would argue that the reason for that is because those that were attacking the city believed on the inside and were fully adopted on the inside about what they were seeking to do on the outside. Those that were defending the city, this was like, this is just an outside thing. I'm not sure if I'm on board with this on the inside. In our house, uh, if there's a leak or something inside a wall, it doesn't help to paint it over with mildew-resistant paint, right? The real work has to start with getting to the inside of that and fixing whatever it is that's going on inside that wall or in the roof or whatever. Then you can worry about the outside. Uh, in sports, a person simply putting on a uniform isn't going to ensure that they know how to play the game. I was a, my attention was drawn to an NFL player whose son is playing football, and he uh, told his son when he got a participation trophy, he said, you need to give that back. You know, just because you put the uniform on and the pads on and stuff doesn't mean you really accomplished something for participating. You know, uh, I assure you, if I put on a Green Bay Packers jersey, it is not going to make me any more successful in contributing to a single play of an NFL game. And there's no more guarantee that I won't be carried off on a stretcher some point after 30 seconds of being in it. The fact is this real change that lasts in our lives doesn't come from the outside in, but it does move from the inside to the outside. It doesn't come from the outside in, but it does move from the inside to the outside. And real change that a follower of Christ should be looking for results in inside to outside godliness we'll look at, and inside to outside discipleship. Those are just two aspects that we're looking at this morning. So uh, looking at inside to outside godliness, following Christ in the way that we live, we're talking about. We could define godliness as the ongoing transformation that changes us inside and out into Christ-likeness because it it's all about following Christ. It's all about becoming more like him. It's all about uh, adopting more and more, not just what he has done, but who he is for ourselves. And we find that, that the Holy Spirit is transforming us more and more into his image. So as we've seen in, uh, as we've moved through Titus, we've seen the idea of inside godliness, and I know there's, there's 
it's kind of maybe vague terminology, but we're talking about being godly on the inside here. We've seen it described in Titus 3, in verses 4 through 6, where we read, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, not from the outside in, by these works that we did, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. As we've discussed, our relationship with God through Christ, it's based on his washing us clean of our sin and of our unrighteousness and remaking us, recreating us, regenerating us as something new before him, standing in him in the full righteousness of Christ in our position. And that, and so we grow godly in our position before God. We become godly in our position before God as he regenerates us And we grow in personal holiness as the Holy Spirit renews us in response to our surrender to his work in our lives. If we know Christ as our Savior, if we've received the work, the person and work of Jesus Christ in what he has done in his death and his resurrection in paying for our sins. And that godliness in our lives grows within us but also overflows into our practices of our lives on the outside. And we've seen that in Titus. This idea of outside godliness, living godly. Much of the purpose of the writing of the letter to Titus was to connect the gospel to godly living. We saw that in uh, verse 1 of chapter 1. Right off the bat, Paul wrote to Titus saying, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. The truth of the gospel is intended to set us free in accordance with the godly life that it leads us to. We've seen also how a shepherd of the church is to be one whose life is marked by godliness. We see this in verse 7 of chapter 1. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. And we talked about the fact that all of us, shepherds and and servant team members and and small group leaders and, and anybody at Harvest, we are all, if we know Christ as our Savior, we are in the process of being changed. Above reproach does not mean being perfect. We're in the process of growing in godly living, but those who are in leadership need to have healthy, vital signs, as we saw, of growth in their relationship with Christ. We've also learned that God's saving, life-saving grace is intended to be life-changing grace. We saw this in Titus 2, 11 through 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us. What's training us? The grace of God that we've received is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. These verses remind us 
that when it comes to our sinful behavior, what's on the outside, it does affect, it, is, it does taint us in our way, or, or let me say what's, what's happening on the inside is intended to make a change on the outside. And it's important that it does. There does need to be this putting off of who we were or who our, this, this flesh, this temptation magnet wants to be, this putting off of that and putting on of what God is making us more and more into. And because God loves us, his grace will be training us to live in a new way and that allows us to enjoy our relationship with him more and more, being able to be filled with his Holy Spirit and being able to, to enjoy the washing that is ours in Christ that comes from the confession of sin and the allowing him to let us experience that grace that's ours. All of this teaching that we've gone through in Titus on godly living comes while our culture is increasingly pushing us to compromise. I read an article recently written by a Fort Wayne newspaper and it was brought up on a national um, uh, podcast where it was basically saying, the author was saying, when are we going to have a problem with colleges like Grace in Winona Lake and Bethel in Mishawaka and Indiana Wesleyan and Huntington who are telling their, if somebody wants to apply to work at their college, they're telling them, you may not be practicing homosexuality if you're going to apply here or if you're going to be accepted to work here. And the article saying, why can't they be more like Goshen or, or um, Manchester that's, that's affiliated with a church, but yet is saying, we don't need to know or, or we don't care what your lifestyle is. And so this Fort Wayne newspaper is starting that process of saying, these people believe the wrong thing. We've seen this increasingly as we've gone through these verses in Titus. Uh, as you've seen, um, I apologize, I don't have that statement of faith. Does somebody have, Micaiah, do you have one there? Can I see that? Thank you. Um, our statement of faith serves many purposes. It does serve the purpose if somebody does not know anything about harvest and they want to know, what do the people of harvest believe? Okay, it does serve that purpose. It also serves the purpose of defining, you know, within these pages, we're, we, need to have, we need to discuss. If we disagree, disagree on these things, let's talk about it. Let's discuss this. These are important. But if they're not on these pages, we're not going to argue about it. Okay? A as well... Um, anyone who is in ministry at Harvest in an influential way or a teaching way, such as a shepherd or a servant team member or a small group leader or a children's church teacher or a, uh, work, a youth worker, they need to be able to say, I agree with what is in this statement. I believe what is in this statement. And just want you to see, um, I'll just read the addition here that we're, we're adding to our statement. 
And it has to do with the fact, recognizing the fact that we as a body need to know where, where do we draw the line in terms of um, expecting God's grace to be changing us and to be molding us. It says, we believe that God's grace, which saves us, is also, stead- um, also steadily transforms us in personal holiness over the course of our lives. We believe that God's principles and clear commandments are meant to be followed literally by Christians. These are best summed up by the commands to love God and to love others. We believe that we are called to pursue righteous actions, including treasuring Christ, caring for others, giving, etc., and to resist temptation to sin, including outward actions like gossip, pornography, premarital sex, homosexuality, drunkenness, etc., as well as sins of the heart, like greed, envy, lust, bitterness, etc. We recognize that any specific sin could be a lifelong temptation and struggle for any of us. Still, we believe that a lifestyle of intentionally practicing sin is not a condition in which we should live. Let let me say this here. This is not something that someone has to be agreeing with in order to attend harvest. Okay? Um, People who are living lifestyles and sins, whether they be um, addicted to drug or greedy misers or uh, homosexuals or kleptomaniacs are welcome to come and learn here at Harvest, are welcome to be a part. This is not a claim either that we do not struggle with sin. If this was listing off sins that we do not struggle with, I could not be your pastor. Okay? But this is saying that, that we agree that we should not embrace a lifestyle of sin or call what the Bible calls sin to call it good. Okay? And it's not us against the world. Okay? It's simply us saying, we do believe that God desires to transform us. And we have an enemy that desires to keep us from being transformed. And rationalizing sin is a major way that that transformation gets interrupted. This statement says that we believe that it's not acceptable in what the Bible calls sin, especially to do so without the desire or the willingness to change when it's pointed out to us. Our relationship with God begins on the inside where he washes us with regeneration. And the truth is that where, that God has a way of that of regularly changing us, growing us into godliness from the inside to the outside. And that way involves allowing the body of Christ to help us through discipleship. So we're looking at inside to outside discipleship, being helped in following Christ. One example that we've looked at and during our time in Titus is, is being coached in an area of following Christ. 
We've seen much in Titus about the importance of believers discipling each other. And here's one of my uh, shameless, um, here's one of my shameless, uh, 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 what do they call it? Plugs of the website here. Uh, What we've described about a three-layer approach to discipleship, which is not like this is the harvest way of doing things or something like that. It's simply a tool that when we're in a discipling relationship, either we who are being discipled or we who are, do, or are helping in discipleship, to stop and to say, in this given area, say in the area of um, reading our Bible once a day, where, what do I need here? Or what does this person that I'm working with need? Do they need to be taught in this area? Or have they had some good teaching and what they need is they need to see it modeled or demonstrated? Or is it that they've seen that and, and they're ready to be really, you know, coached in it? You know, um, and I, I'm going to be careful not to go back and preach that sermon again. <laughs> but we saw these three layers involved in Titus 2, 1 through 3 where Paul writes to Titus, but as for you, so he's coaching Titus in this, teach, he's telling him, provide that foundation of teaching what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. So Titus is being coached by Paul to be teaching and challenging older people in the church of Crete and how to to demonstrate, to model uh, godly living and to teach that and and to coach. Specifically, the example we saw is in relationships between older women and younger women in that coaching. And Picking up in verse four where this says, to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. This was to have a result in the younger generation being coached in following Christ in their context. And in the same way, the young men were to be challenged to live their lives for Christ rather than in sin. We saw that in verse 6 where he says, Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Titus's own demonstration also of following Christ was to be a major part of the process of discipleship as we see in verse 7. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. This is about helping a person to develop their walk with Christ or finding, seeking help in developing our walk with Christ on the inside. It's not about showing up at church and looking good on the outside even though we don't, we're not really connecting with the Holy Spirit or connecting God's truth to our lives and, uh, for what's going on on the inside. It's about finding help with what's going on on the inside. I'm excited, you know, I'll be sending out letters. Those of you that, that filled in the coaching survey, 
marking down where you'd like to be coached and where you'd like to coach somebody else. Uh, I'm finally going to be sending those letters out this week, kind of saying, this is who's coaching you or this is who's, you know, you're coaching, working with. And, and it's just a small step. It's just, it's just that little push along that we need to encourage this more and more. Coaching relationships where we're helping one another to follow Christ better. And, and this calls for verbalizing the desire for growth in an area of following Christ. You can't coach somebody that doesn't want to play. And this can apply to any area of following Christ. How to study the Bible, how to resist a certain temptation, etc. You might be thinking, let me say this, talking about getting help on, with what's on the inside. You might be thinking, well, what I need is just more knowledge. Or what I need is more church involvement. Or maybe what I need is just to, to study the Bible more. And, and that'll fix what's going on on the inside. Let me tell you, as far as knowledge goes, you know, having graduated from Bible college and seminary, I, I'm, I'm, I've got some of that stuff taken care of. As far as church involvement, um, my life outside of my family is the church. As far as studying the scriptures, I, I study and put together a passage of scripture 15 to 20 hours every week. But the truth is there. There is no dark corner of my life that a loving brother does not know about and is helping me to strive against temptation in. That's along with all that learning. That's along with all that Bible study. That's along with all that church involvement. And it's not because I'm your pastor. It's because that's what we need. To have a brother or sister to help us to shine the light of God's truth into every dark corner of what's going on on the inside. Because my sin grows best in isolation and in separation from that sort of openness, and so does yours. So does yours. You must have some wisely, lovingly involved person in your sin for you to grow in godliness as you are able to. And I'm encouraged by how the men's conference drew out this need in the men of Montgomery County for many that were there. And specifically, it's obvious that the work of God wants to do in us is hindered by silence and by isolation. And freedom and healing and wholeness comes through shedding the light of truth and fellowship and love in the dark places of our life. We need the help of discipleship to work on what's inside. We need, you need to bring someone inside. And that inside work of God is meant to work to the outside. I don't know a better way to put it here, but involvement in ministry 
Our discipleship is meant to both work on the inside of us and work from the outside of us out, or from the inside out. And this is opposed to living as if there were just no commands to obey or ministry to be done. We've seen this in Titus, Titus 2.14. He tells them, Jesus Christ, if you will, gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You could say zealous to obey and to do ministry to work alongside of the Holy Spirit in what he is doing in our world and in our relationships. We see in Titus 3.8, we saw, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, he tells Titus, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. I hope that you're hearing this or that you're not hearing this as, if you want to clean up the inside, you got to do some good works on the outside. That's not what I'm saying. I think we've established that this works from the inside outside, but it doesn't, following Christ is not absent of doing ministry on the outside as a result of what God is doing on the inside of us. Throughout Titus, we've seen that God's life-saving grace is intended to be life-changing grace. And it's both in the area of revisiting personal sin patterns or a gospel mission that changes what we treasure. It's also in the result of us being on gospel mission in seeing the Holy Spirit work through us in the world among us. And as well, we're called to live godly from the inside to the outside in our relationships. We saw this in Titus 3, 1 through 2. Remind them. Okay, so godly living in our relationships we see here. It says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to to show perfect courtesy, toward all people. This gospel mission living in our relationships sure takes a lot of work on the inside. But it's meant to work to the outside. You see this? In the case of everyday relationships, same is true in times of great need by others. As he says in 3.14, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help causes of urgent need and not to be unfruitful. We've made a decision as a body when it comes to discipleship. And that is, we don't disciple so that people can one day do ministry. We believe God has for us to disciple through ministry. We believe not to say, well, we're doing it the way Jesus did it, but but that's what we see in Jesus' relationship with his disciples. Discipleship through ministry. Let me show you a pic from from, uh, days gone by. Uh, You can probably pick pick me out from that Packer jersey. Having the hat on, you can't tell as much how much change there was there. But 
You know what I love about this picture? I was looking through some old pictures is here you have, everybody here is a middle schooler picked out there. And this is a trip to uh, great America. But every fellowship opportunity was always a ministry opportunity. And those ministry opportunities was always an opportunity for discipleship. And discipleship always worked when you were encouraging someone to make an impact on other people. So, so here was kind of the target audience here with our middle schoolers. But these other guys here are high schoolers. And they make the best impact on middle schoolers. But you need somebody to make an impact on high schoolers. So these two here are Moody students, college-age students. So, so I'm working with Dan and Leah here as they're working with high schoolers, as they're working with middle schoolers. Do you see how people are learning how to follow Christ by doing ministry in this situation? I, you know, and, and I was celebrating this in my mind the other day when I was having coffee, and I was having coffee with Joe, our pastoral intern, and with Rod, our servant team member who's, who uh, serves in the student ministry area, and with Alex Stewart, who's our 20-year-old guy that's working with high schoolers. And we're, the four of us are, are brainstorming together, how are we going to make an impact on students this school year? And this is how God does this. As one is ministering to another, as they're seeking to minister together in a goal of making an impact, of being on gospel mission in other people's lives. And um, I don't know if you caught this. Did any of you guys recognize this guy here? That's Joe there. That's me with more hair. And Joe on a trip here. You know, my relationship with Joe as our pastoral intern, it's a reconnection, a continuation of lifestyle discipleship through ministry. And it's a great joy to be able to continue that. And, and, and I appreciate Harvest being a place where Joe can continue to minister to others as he's being ministered to, as he's being discipled. And he's not the only one growing through this process. I'm reaching out to other pastors. How do you do this? How do you follow Christ in this context? How do you do this best? How do you, how do you bring the most glory to the Lord and, and impact on God's kingdom through this type of arrangement, this type of relationship? You know, this is what we're seeking to do with our servant team. And, and we talked about that as we moved through Titus, that, that the servant team is up and running, and this is made up of men that serve by helping you as harvesters to be involved in ministry in a way that, that adds to your walk with Christ. It's not like, hey, this needs to be done. Can you do it for six months? But their whole goal is to see ministry to be done in a way that allows harvesters to walk with Christ more closely and in a more healthy way. I've got another website plug here. You can see this on the website under, um, under edifying and equipping believers, which is appropriate, areas of ministry that you can see there. Uh, and um, these will link 
but uh, also on the back table there uh, this morning. And it'll be a little bit prettier and more formal and semi-permanent display at some point. But, you know, there's a sheet of paper for each one of those areas of ministry, along with what the opportunities are there, what are the requirements for being involved, who do you contact if you desire to be a part of it. And again, those guys' roles is about their learning more about following Christ as you're putting people into ministry in a way that helps them to follow Christ more closely through a part of being involved in that ministry. But let me say this. That doesn't mean that for somebody to be on gospel mission in their daily lives as a part of being at a harvest, that they have to be a part of a harvest area of ministry. I had a very good conversation with uh, a very um, dear, mature believer in our, in our congregation uh, this past week where we were talking about the possibility of them leading a small group. And the fact is, is they are already involved doing that sort of thing and, and, and pursuing doing that sort of thing in our community. So what's the response to that? Oh, no, 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 that's not what we're talking about by gospel mission. No, it needs to be a harvest thing. No, not at all. It's about furthering his kingdom. In fact, the last, last shameless plug of the website here. Um, here we go, last shameless plug. There you'll find a page, Ministries of Harvesters. If your desire is to get involved in Pam's Promise, or with Trinity Mission, or with um, uh, Celebrate Recovery. The people to talk to about that. You know, because that ministry is going on. We have those, I call them entrepreneurial saints, that are out making things happen and would love to have other harvesters to come alongside of them. Or maybe you're involved in an area of ministry that you would love to have other harvesters involved with it. Let us put it on there. Real change, real change that lasts in our lives starts on the inside, and, but it moves to the outside. And it must happen on the inside, and it must move to the outside. This involves growing in godliness, Meaning growing in your convictions and growing in your transparency with other believers involves growing in discipleship, being coached, coaching someone else, and getting involved in ministry to others. Let me say this, though. As we move to reflect on our Lord's sacrifice uh, for us and paving the way for a relationship with Him, just looking again at what Titus says, in chapter 3, verses 3 through 8, verses 3 7, we're reminded that none of this talk is possible if it weren't for the fact that we're given everything in Christ in the first place to be able to stand in relationship with God, to be able to come with him, to Him and find cleansing when we sin. How we loved, or at least I loved, this passage of Scripture. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, 
slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, and he offered to us salvation based on his own mercy. But here's the deal. He takes mercy on us or he can take mercy on us in our sin because he didn't take mercy on the one person that didn't need it. He's able to take mercy on us because he took no mercy on his son and he poured out every bit of the deserving wrath of sin on Jesus Christ in breaking his body and in pouring out his blood so that we can freely come to him, receive forgiveness for our sins, and celebrate that forgiveness daily and any time we do something like celebrating communion. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up here as I pray, and, and they're going to just lead us in some little reflective time before we join in with them in praise. And let's bow our heads.